foundation is built on solid rock. Yeshua. The rock of our salvation on Solace Radio. Uh, this week, I don't even know if they've set the exact date yet, uh, the latest peace attempt, Shalom Conference in Washington, D.C. and Annapolis, Maryland. I'm sure you're aware. Uh, the Israeli uh, representatives, Palestinian representatives, uh, coming together, uh, supposedly for peace, hopefully for peace. Uh, Arab countries, Arab representatives, the Arab League, uh, all this. Uh, but I guess what we what came to mind was like, hey, it's deja vu all over again, right? I mean, how many peace conferences have we had in 4,000 years? And uh, the first peace conference is what our Parsha is this morning. Uh, Esau coming back and wanting a piece of Jacob, right? <laughs> Not exactly a peace conference. Well, I guess you could say a peace, P-I-E-C-E, right? He wanted a piece of them. Uh, but that's how it's been for 4,000 years. And uh, so we read in Breshit, Genesis, uh, this Shabbat, uh, that uh, Jacob sent for Esau and tried to reconcile, but it didn't work too well back then. Uh, our Haftorah portion, we chanted the, the book, the prophet Ovadia. Uh, some thousand years later, guess what? Peace conference, let's give it a try. But you read that whole story and we find out that it failed at that point, unfortunately. And uh, so you'll forgive some of us if we're not too optimistic about peace breaking out next week. Uh, we all, it, it's mixed emotions, isn't it? I mean, we're, Yeshua said, blessed are the peacemakers. Pray for the peace of Yerushalayim. Uh, of course, we pray, we hope, we work for peace. But there's also some reality checks here that we need to be aware of. I think it's very interesting that that the very week that they're having this renewed conference to discuss the status of the Jewish people, Jerusalem, all these heavy issues, uh, we have every Jew who's coming to the synagogue today around the world, including in Jerusalem, including in Washington, D.C., we read the portion about not dividing up Jerusalem. Amen. There it is. Um, I'm waiting for Condi Rice to call, and, you know, she hasn't asked my advice, but uh, I have a feeling they don't have a clue what the Torah says about this stuff. I mean, you know, politics are politics, and, and people say great things, even religious things, but somehow there's some spiritual deception, spiritual ignorance going on even in our day. And as I reflected, again, we're going through all the Haftorah readings for the year, and uh, uh, Ovadia, as you can see uh, today, I, the title I came up with, uh, in case you're wondering, Three Easy Steps to Spiritual Deception. So, any of you looking to be deceived, anyone looking to be spiritually confused, here's the way to do it. <laughs> okay? Uh, I'm saying this, obviously, ch- tongue-in-cheek, uh, but this is really what uh, Genesis is about, uh, this reading this week. This is what Ovadia, the prophet, has to say to us. And we'll be looking at Ovadia once again. Uh, Obadiah in English, Ovadia. And uh, three steps, easy steps, to spiritual deception, because this is the word of God that he brings to that generation. Some 800 years B.C., peace treaty 
negotiate. Yerushalayim, what are we going to do with that? It's still spiritual deception. Well, one good way to uh, be spiritually deceived, first way I, I see in this passage, is simply to ignore Elohim. Ignore God. But specifically, I say it that way, ignore Elohim. Verse 1 through 4. The vision of Ovadia, thus says Adonai, Elohim, concerning Edom. Now, Edom was a later name for Esau. Esau, remember, the cousin, our cousin, uh, brother, really, uh, that there was a little dispute 4,000 years ago, and, and uh, you know, that was the start of the problem that even is negotiated this week in Washington, D.C. Uh, Edom is the place where Esau and his descendants settled down in South Jordan. It's called Edom, redness, because it's, you know, Petra, it's the place of the Red Cliffs. Beautiful place, actually. Um, well, this is the word concerning Edom, the descendants of Esau. We have heard a report from Adonai, an envoy, envoy has been sent among the nations. Well, deja vu all over again. Send your envoys to D.C. <laughs> Send your delegations for this political meeting this week. It happened 800 B.C. Arise, let us go. Here's what they were saying some 3,000 years ago. Arise, let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, Edom. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, the cliff dwellers, Edom, uh, Petra, world famous place, right? The cliffs dwellings still. Some of us went there last year, saw the place, walked through the place. But it was symbolic of their pride, living in the cliffs, living out in the wilderness. No one can touch us. Not even a so-called God of Israel. Well, God has a word for that. It's called arrogance. Your arrogance has deceived you. You've deceived yourself. Who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I, Adonai, will bring you down, declares the Lord. Wow. That might be a good way to start the peace conference. I don't know. But uh, one sure way to be spiritually deceived, one thing that has tripped up the peace process, not just the last 10 years, not just the last 60 years of modern Israel's existence, not just the last 2,000 years, not even 4,000 years since there's been Jewish people. A sure way to trip it up is to ignore the God of Israel. Ignore Elohim. Notice I use the, the Hebrew title, Elohim. Uh, you will be deceived uh, in your own way. You will be deceived in your own heart by your arrogance. Uh, again, Esau, born, battle, separation, you took my stuff. I, I was uh, really shocked. I, I have an English Bible here that I'm using, and this, it, you know how some Bibles have some commentary and notes. This one has a few notes. Uh, the note in this Bible says, uh, the theme of the book. The book's theme is Edom is proud of her own security, uh, 
and has gloated over God's people Israel, devastated by her, but her participation of the disaster of God will bring God's wrath. And uh, the Edomites were the sons of Esau, and they carried a grudge against Israel because Jacob had cheated their ancestor out of his birthright. Oy vey. Now, that's not Bible, okay? That's commentary. They actually use the word that Jacob cheated Esau. The Bible never says that. I know, it's kind of a strange situation. We read it every year. You know, he goes in, go get the blessing. His mother, you know, nudges him. Good Jewish mom, push him in there. Uh, and, and he gets the blessing, but the Bible, never, I say it again, the Bible never condemns Jacob. Never condemns his mother. The Bible consistently condemns Esau for despising his inheritance. Esau had it. Double birthright of the firstborn son. And it's clear in the historical account. He didn't want it. Gave it up. Gave it up for some, you know, lentil stew or whatever it was. But it shows you how much he valued the inheritance from Abraham, his forefather. So the Bible never... Please, Jacob did not cheat. The, The Bible, the way Hebrew culture works, that blessing is the blessing. It is what it is. That blessing has power in itself... Who's going to receive the blessing? It's like Jacob's hand could have hit anyone, and you would hit, get the blessing. Esau's out there doing his thing in the world. He wasn't even home. His brother comes, says, hey, Dad, here I am, boom. And even though he didn't quite know who it was, the blessing is what it is. And check it out, the Bible, all the way from Genesis through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, commends Jacob as a man of faith for wanting the blessing of God. So it's about time we call the editors and say, hey, it's not cheating. I mean, God never said it was cheating. How about Esau, who despises birthright? That's what the Bible talks about. But since then, there's been a split. Edom from Esau, and they constantly attacked the descendants of Isaac and Jacob. Constantly. In the days that the Assyrian army came into Israel, it says the Assyrians passed through Edom, passed through the very land, said, hey, go get them. Please, go kill, kill, kill more Jews. We don't like them. The days of Babylon. Uh, Edom, an ally. Babylon. Go, hey, the Jews, go murder more. Here, here's some swords. Here, what can we do to help you murder the Jews? Every generation, it seems. And it's an on, it is an ongoing feud, grudge, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but what is the real source? What is God's perspective well, here in Ovadia, the Haftor reading, it actually condemns Esau, Edom, because he ignores Elohim, ignores God. Uh, that's a great way to ha- not have shalom, isn't it? Ignore Elohim. Esau ignored Elohim in his day. He went his own direction. He's condemned for it. He had problems all the days of his life. The descendants of Esau becoming the Arab tribes. They didn't have Elohim. Just read the history. They didn't want Elohim. You know, they had their different religions going. Even, frankly, even pagan religions. One of their chief pagan gods was a god called Allah, the moon god. I mean, read it. It's, it's in Islamic history. Yeah, read, read the stuff. Read the articles. <laughs> no doubt about it. But then came, uh, I guess you've got to give him credit for organization skills, a man named Muhammad. 
600 plus A.D. Okay, let's put this in perspective. God tells Abraham, 2000 B.C., this land is yours. This people will be used. You have a calling. 2000 B.C., all the 600 A.D., 2600 years later, mind you, uh, Muhammad comes and says, hey, we got a new religion. Where he or- organized the diverse Arab tribes, pagan tribes, uh, polytheistic tribes, and said, you know what? It's monotheism. One God. And by the way, Muhammad read a lot of the Torah. <laughs> Started thinking, you know, he came so close to Elohim, but then it was a different version that's not Elohim. Said, so we have one God, but it's not the Jewish God. No, God forbid, you know. <laughs> but it's our own God that we've always had, Allah. It's the moon God, but now we call him the one God. And so, unfortunately, it's history. I'm sorry, I hope uh, we can understand. You know, God loves all people. We, we are called to love all people, but the history cannot be ignored. And quite frankly, there's a different version of God between the Bible and, more lately, the Koran. And as I put here, one way to mess up your life is to ignore Elohim. And, uh, you know, it's sad because, really, there's plenty of room in the Middle East, plenty of time for peace. God loves all people, all the Arab brothers. I mean, they've got blessings that the Jews don't have. Palestinians deserve a country. They really do. It, it'd be, it will be beautiful, you hope, someday. But without Elohim, the foundation's not there. And there's a dispute. The grudge will still continue, will still continue unresolved, no matter how many handshakes on the White House lawn, no matter how many documents are signed. Problems. You will be deceived by your own arrogance. I'm afraid this peace conference, again, I, I don't want to... Slam it from, you know, at least let's meet and talk. You know, let them meet and talk. But I think it's kind of la-la land. You know, don't you? It's like, what are we talking about? Totally different presuppositions. Totally different perspectives. That's why there hasn't been peace since Jacob and Esau. And uh, Condi and, and, and George, uh, the guys want to say, hey, we're going to get this done before our term. This is our legacy. Well, that will be quite a legacy. Eternal peace. It's like, I don't think you're quite the Messiah yet. <laughs> <laughs> that is the only way peace is coming, isn't it? Shalom. We wish you a blessing of shalom, the song says. Mashiach is called Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Greater than any king, any ambassador, any politician, all, even the best sincere efforts of the politicians will fall short. All sides. But ignore Elohim, and you got problems. By the way, that goes for us too, doesn't it? Uh, I hope no one in this room is ignoring Elohim. I guess, you know, most of us are believers in Elohim, not ignoring. Uh, but you know what? A lot of this world, this is what they're doing. There is no God. Or maybe the Jewish God isn't it. Not Elohim, not the Torah, not the Bible. you got to be joking. Well, I hope no one in this room is ignoring Elohim because he says the arrogance of our own heart can deceive us and cause problems. And it only makes you wonder. I mean, we've been there. 
Been there, done that, haven't we? Didn't you ignore Elohim for some part of your life? Uh, some of us did it many, many years. And it was like Esau. The arrogance of our heart brought deception. Oh, Lord, keep us out of that. <laughs> Thank you for Elohim, our God. Amen? Don't ignore Elohim. A second way to mess up your life, a second way to spiritual deception, anyone's interested, is argue with Elohim. Go ahead. You know? Now notice, you're not ignoring Elohim. It's like, there is, nah, the Jew, nah, that's the, the Bible's a bunch of junk. They're not ignoring. This is arguing. Oh yeah, I've heard of Elohim, but I, this, he says A, I say B. This is a different level. Look at Ovadia, verse 10. It says, because of the violence to your brother Yaakov, you will be covered with shame, Edom, Esau. You will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, Israel's wealth, and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem. It happened in Obadiah's day. The Arab tribes casting lots. Who gets Jerusalem? <laughs> Who wants that? Hey, there's Shlomo's house. You can take it. Who wants it? Who wants the Jewish quarter? Who wants the Temple Mount? Here, just cast the lots. It's up for grabs. Wow. Deja vu all over again. This is not new. This is not new. You too were as one of them. You were casting lots for Jerusalem. Do not gloat over your brother's day. The day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. That's very interesting. You know what he's saying there. Uh, okay, let's face it. Let's look at us Jews and God. You know, we got a little dispute going many times. <laughs> a little argument. Uh, you know, he's our Heavenly Father, but we haven't had an easy time of it. We, if we're honest, we will admit that. Judgment even came upon us, our people, historically, many different times. It's, it's the Bible. That's our, our history, is it not? But here were people, non-Jews, rejoicing over the problems of Israel. Here were the nations, especially Edom, the Arab tribes, rejoicing over the distress of their own cousins, their own brothers. Jews and Arabs are actually blood brothers. <laughs> And God says, don't rejo- why are you rejoicing? If, you're, if, I, if I'm dealing with your brother, you know, it's a little disciplined time. Don't you rejoice. Don't you take his house. Don't you take his property. Verse 13, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Hey, Babylonians come, you stay out of it. They didn't, unfortunately. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. Do not loot their wealth. Their wealth. Notice, it's not like, hey, uh, go ahead, uh, Esau, go ahead back and take your birthright. He tricked you. He cheated you. Take it back. That's what the world says. The Bible says they are taking the wealth that belongs to the Jewish people. In the day of their disaster, verse 14, do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives. Whoa, I'm sorry to say, deja vu all over again. Thank God the bus bombings have stopped. You notice how quiet it's been? Uh, of course, coincidental, it's been very quiet since the wall went up. <laughs> Keeping the guys out, the terrorists, 
I mean, and, and of course, Israel gets blamed. It's like, why are you putting up a wall? Well, someone should visit San Diego. <laughs> Go to the border. We got a wall up and there's not, not people blowing up buses. So get a life, politicians, you know? No hypocrisy. But I'll tell you what, if buses were blown up in San Diego, God forbid, uh, you'd see some response. Strong response. It, it, people, it's so, so many of the people that make the judge, they're sitting in their armchair in the UN. They're sitting in their armchair in Los Angeles. And it's like, those Jews, what are they doing? They're a hindrance to peace. <laughs> well, guess how long it's been peace since the wall went up. I'm sorry. Israel would be the first one to say, we'd love to take down this wall. We, we didn't even have a wall for 55 years of our existence with hopes there'd be peace between our Palestinian cousins, Arab cousins, and us Jews. But you know how bad it got a few years ago. We'll see. But don't stand at the road attacking the people. Very graphic. Do not imprison their survivors. Uh, We got in our prayer bulletin, did you notice? There's three Israeli soldiers kidnapped. Now it's been a couple years. God says, I'm angry about that. In the day of their distress. Well, you want to mess up your life, you can ignore Elohim totally. The world is opting. A lot of people are opting for that. Just, I'll be in la-la land, spiritual deception. I got my own thing. They're ignoring God, even though he's trying to speak to them. But there is another level of spiritual deception if we argue with Elohim. You see, they began to hear, thus says the Lord to Edom, hey guys, back off. (laughs) And they said, no. Why should we listen to Elohim? We've got our gods. And they say, Jihad. They say, we've got it. They say, Jerusalem, Temple Mount, it's all ours. It's Islamic. Forever. Elohim has a different word on that, you may notice. Not so. Casting lots for Jerusalem. You know, it's amazing. Uh, I was uh, perusing the um, Wikipedia and some of the latest email sources. And, of course, with the peace thing going on. Uh, Do you realize, some of you may not even understand what the PLO Covenant Charter is about. Now, it's a covenant agreement that they made in the 60s that supposedly they repented of in the 90s. Yasser Arafat and all uh, wrote a letter. uh, Well, let let me read some of this. Just so you know, this is the covenant as it still stands. Uh... Various Articles of the Palestinian Covenant, PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization. Article 15, the liberation of Palestine from an Arab viewpoint is a national duty and it attempts to repel the Zionist and imperialist aggression against the Arab homeland and aims at the elimination of Zionism in Palestine. Absolute responsibility for this falls upon the Arab nation, peoples, and governments with the Arab and spiritual capabilities to participate actively in the, with the Palestinian people in the liberation of Palestine. It must, particularly in this phase of the armed Palestinian re- revolution, offer and furnish the Palestinian people with all possible help and material and human support and make available to them the means, the opportunities, which will enable them to continue to carry out their leading role in the armed revolution until they liberate their homeland. Article 15. Article 19. The partition of Palestine in 1947. Do you remember that? 
Read about that? UN resolution that said we're just splitting this land and Arabs over here, Jews over here, shalom, salam, you know, shake hands, everyone's cool. 1947, November, UN resolution, Israeli Jews said, Baruch Hashem, thank you, we'll take it, anything, after the Holocaust. But here's the Palestinian organization response, Article 19. The partition of Palestine in 1947 and the establishment of the State of Israel are entirely illegal, regardless of the passage of time because they were contrary to the will of the Palestinian people and to their natural right to their homeland, and inconsistent with the principles embodied in the Charter of the United Nations, particularly the right of self-determination. Oh, I see. They don't want any Jews in the Middle East, so that's, that's how it's going to be. <laughs> One more, Article 20. The Balfour Declaration, remember that, 1917, the Jews have a right to a homeland in the Middle East. The mandate for Palestine and everything that has been based on them are deemed null and void. UN resolutions, international statements, everything's null and void. Claims of historical or religious ties of Jews with Palestine are incompatible with the facts of history and the true conception of what constitutes statehood. Judaism, being a religion, is not an independent nationality. Figure that one out. Nor do Jews constitute a single nation with any identity of its own. Well, you could have fooled me. They are citizens of the states to which they belong. There will be no Jewish state in the Middle East. There is no Jewish state. It's even armed struggle. It's jihad to uh, cast off any Jewish presence in the Middle East. Now, what is so interesting is I was, I was curious, what, what's the latest status? This goes back to the 1960s, okay? Uh, Yasser Arafat leading the charge. Uh, well, here's the deal. Let me read a little bit more. Uh, below is the complete and unabridged text of the Palestinian National Covenant. Excerpts of what we just read. As officially published in English by the PLO. That's another thing. This, I wonder, only wonder what it really says in Arabic. But that's the English translation, obviously. The charter was soon followed by a program for a secular democratic state. The PLO program called for the exile from Palestine of all Jews who had arrived after 1917. In a letter of September 9, 1993 to Prime Minister Rabin, the talk leader and PLO chairman Yasser Arafat stated, quote, In view of the promise of the new era and the sign of the Declaration of Principles based on Palestinian acceptance, in the Security Resolution 242 and 338, the PLO affirms that those articles of the Palestinian Covenant which deny Israel's right to exist and are provisions of the Covenant which are inconsistent with the commitments of this letter are now inoperative and no longer valid. Baruch Hashem. Do you hear what it's saying? Uh, you know the more modern history. The PLO supposedly repented of all these statements to murder the Jews, drive the Jews out, get rid of Zionism. Yasser Arafat, whatever motive, whatever reason, said, no, we have an agreement. We will delete these portions from our covenant. Well, that would be nice. But um, let me read this. Under the leadership of, the P- of PNA and Fatah, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, they held meetings 
in which the offending articles were repealed with disputed legality. Do you understand that? They said, we're going to repeal it, but it didn't go through. The PNA offices eventually killed... Uh, there, was a, there was a plaque in the Palestinian offices still commemorating the original 18 signers of the covenant, many of whom were actually killed over the years. And yet, okay, bottom line, you can say whatever you want, but what's the reality? I mean, you can even make the point, hey, Yasser Arafat, 100% repented, good guy, well, that was debated all the way to his death recently. But now, what about Hezbollah? What about Hamas? They're way beyond Arafat's organization. Hezbollah, party of Allah. Talk about ignoring Elohim. They just said, we don't want Elohim. We got our own party of Allah to the end. Well, good luck negotiating. I, I think we should send our dance ministry and do the dance you know, before the meeting. Shalom, shalom. The, you know, I wish it were so, don't you? With God's help, the Mashiach will come. It's the only answer. He's the only answer. Amen? And uh, maybe some, there'll be some breakthrough. Final point, Novadia. You want to mess up your life. You want to be spiritually deceived. Ignore Elohim or argue with Elohim. Even though he says Jerusalem is for Israel, argue about it. Fight over it. You'll be deceived. But the last one, be obstinate towards Elohim. Go ahead. Be stubborn. Well, most of us Jews found out being stiff-necked, not such a good thing, okay? Uh, but, hey, there's a lot of Gentiles, a lot of uh, Muslims, a lot of uh, other people that, it, I think it's humanity, don't you? Stiff-necked, obstinate, arrogant. Verse 15 of Ovadia. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the goyim, all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Oy vey, that's a scary verse. Then Yeshua say the same thing. Uh, judge not, lest you be judged. As you judge, you know, go ahead and judge. Feel free. But keep in mind, it's going to be the same values you're held to. Here, Esau, keep on attacking. Keep on doing your thing. 4,000 years of animosity, of grudge. But the stuff you put out, it's coming back on you. It's pretty fair, right? You give it, you get it back. <laughs> That's kind of the kingdom of God. Whatever we give, we pretty much get back in the end. Your dealings will return on your own head. Because just as you drank from my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. It will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Wow. It's just one short scroll for this Haftorah, Ovadia. Read it at home. Read it this Shabbat afternoon. Thus says Elohim about the whole situation. 4,000 years, 2,000 years ago, uh, 2007, November. I mean, what, what's it take? But be, you want to be in spiritual deception. Notice he says, your dealings. Your, my dealings. It's me, me, I, I, my way. You drank. I drank. I drank. I did. I did. My, my. It will come back. will return upon you. A final step of spiritual deception. I'll tell you what, I think this is a scary verse, not only for world politics, so to speak, but uh, listen, 
Every week we're to take the Haftorah to our heart. That's a scary thing. We could be, there's always a danger of self-deception. But I, I, I got my way. Well, careful, careful. That's why we listen to Elohim. Amen? That's why we bring out the scroll here and say, okay, enough of our own nonsense. Here it is. <laughs> Here's the stuff. Here is truth, and the truth shall set you free. Elohim, the only God, the only way. You know, the world's pretty obstinate towards Elohim. They got every reason to fight, fight, fight. Uh, hey, believers, let's, uh, I hope we're not fighting, but let's face it, we can resist at times too, can't we? But it will catch up to us. I just read in the paper, uh, I think it was just yesterday, that a little article caught my attention. Uh, uh, a carjacking uh, in Reno, and the guy pistol-whipped uh, the poor guy out in the, uh, the parking lot and, you know, grabs his car, and the thing got botched, so they get, the police come, and they're chasing the guy, and he ran into a building and just, and he's slushing through wet concrete. <laughs> they just poured the floor. Construction guys are there, hey, what's this guy doing? And he's just, can you imagine trying to run through concrete? <laughs> Easy catch at that point, okay? Police got them, construction guys tackle them. I thought, that's, that's hilarious. But you know what? It's kind of a parable of life too, isn't it? We're told we're running a race. And you know, we got enough hindrances, don't we? You don't have to be schlepping through concrete on top of it. <laughs> but our own ways. Oh, I can do this. <laughs> oh, man. Not just world politics, but may we pray about how the Haftorah portion, the Torah and Haftorah portion, relate to our personal life. You know, basically, we're not fighting Elohim. I have a feeling God wins in the end, don't you? And the question for us this morning, are we going to do it the easy way or we do it the hard way? God's taken us somewhere, but will it be the easy way and just, hey man, I got my... Nike's on, and this is cool. Or sludge, sludge, sludge. May we learn the spiritual lessons of Ovadia on this Shabbat. Amen. Please stand with me. Let's, let's pray about it. Lord God, we do thank you today for the opportunity to come and worship and focus. And Lord, oh, our hearts are somewhat grieved about this so-called peace conference. We want peace, shalom, our favorite word. But there's some unresolved issues that aren't being addressed. Oh Lord, if it's possible, may there be a season of peace in the Middle East. Peace for all peoples. Shalom, salem, for our beloved Israel. We know your desire is peace to live in our land. For all the Arab nations, oh, there's so much land, so much blessing, if we would all line up with Elohim. We pray somehow there will even be a spiritual awareness at this peace conference. Many times it's the Israelis who need a fresh spiritual awareness. Lord, may your spirit do some work. And Lord, may we learn the practical lessons of Ovadia. May we not ignore you, God. May we not argue with you, O God. May we run the race without any hindrances. 
keeping our eyes on Yeshua, the author and finisher. Lord, if something is slowing us down today, show us. Thank you for loving us, Abba. Thank you that we go forward. Thank you for spiritual discernment. Keep us, keep us, O Lord, from spiritual deception. May we always listen to you, Father. We thank you. In the name of Yeshua, your Son, our Messiah. Amen. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Find the Savior. Find Yeshua HaMashiach. Find the truth on Solace Radio. It's a bad world out there. So take solace in the word on Solace Radio. Father, we pray your blessing upon the study of the word. These are such somber words. Uh, they are so telling of a, of a society, a humanity that has gone away from God. And we can only pray for our own hearts, our own homes, our own community, and our own nation. And that you might do a work in our day to bring revival in us, in our home, and in our community, and in this nation. And that the name of our God would be exalted, and the name of Yeshua would be lifted up and magnified. So guide us as we might understand the warnings of love that you give. We might be your instrument of such warnings because of the love of Messiah that constrains our hearts. We ask for your blessing upon the study and application of the word, for it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated, if you will. And so as we consider the issue here, uh, no Yeshua, no peace, no Yeshua, no peace. Uh, if you can't see the words, it's spelled differently on the screen. You can tell that. And so the idea is that the rejection of God reveals his wrath against sinners both now and forever. The rejection of God reveals... His wrath against sinners, both now and forever. His wrath is fully satisfied in Messiah Yeshua's death for all who believe in Yeshua, both now and forever. And so we must uh, trust in Messiah's death to escape God's wrath on sinners, now and forever. Revelation of God's righteousness in Yeshua, listen carefully. We looked last week, if you remember, were with us. Uh, we first looked at the introduction, which told us who we are in Messiah because of the good news. Those are the two parts of the introductory section, 1 through 15. Then last week, we looked at the theme of the book of Romans, which we understand is much more profound than just the book of Romans. But in any case, we saw uh, that the good news, uh, uh, which is the power of God and salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteous God is revealed. The same word is used in verse 18, with the wrath of God revealed. You say, well, what do you mean? We'll go into this with a little bit more depth, but understand for now the idea that the revelation of Yeshua, the Messiah, as God's righteousness being revealed righteousness is necessary because of God's revealed wrath. We'll go into that with a little more depth as we move on. And so, when we take a look at the section of the Scripture, 118 through 320, you say, that's, that's a long portion. That's not going to be in one sitting. Will the Lord be gracious to us? We'll deal with it in three weeks. 
over a three-week period, but nonetheless, understand that deals with the first uh, level of teaching uh, that Paul wants people to understand, to appreciate God's righteousness. What is that? The unrighteousness of humanity, uh, the lost state of humanity. In this portion, in this chapter 1, 118-32, we see here the sensual uh, pagans who are experientially oriented. And then in the next section, chapter 2, 1 through 16, we'll see the intellectual moralists, the intelligentsia, and the problems that they have. And then finally, chapter 2, 17 through 320, the longest section, we'll see regarding the traditional Jewish community uh, and the problems that we have as such, as, as a people. You say, well, what do you mean? For those who have studied with me on other matters, you know that in teaching about being a witness, we've gained a discerning ear. How many have ever been through my Share Messiah seminars? Raise your hand if you've actually sat awake. I mean, not, not those who are awake through it. That's different. Okay. All right. Far fewer. But in any case, I teach there that in order to be a witness, as you grow and mature, you gain a discerning ear so you can hear people's hearts and realize what foundation of authority they have in their life, whether it be based on experience, intellect, or tradition. And so this portion of Scripture, the, the condemnation of humanity because of sin, breaks down in those same three parts, regarding the sensual or experiential pagans, the intellectual uh, moralists, and then traditional Judaism. And so the problem uh, that is revealed in the section of Scripture will then find its solution in the following section, 321 and following. And so the problem is being seen so we can appreciate the solution. You don't think you need the cure until the doctor tells you you have a problem. Then you desperately want the cure. So understand what Paul is laying out here. Understanding the desperate need for Messiah to be our atonement, to come in the flesh. It seems like an overreaction from God until you understand the state of humanity, how lost we all are, lost in sin and selfishness. And so this is the big deal about the good news. The wrath of God has been revealed. You say, well, what do you mean? Don't yell fire in a movie theater unless there is a fire. And if there is a fire, yell it loudly because there is a fire, and you care about other people. And so the good news is therefore urgent. We need to believe now in these matters. Now, for those of us who are visiting here, a part, maybe regularly visiting here, a part of the, the Jewish community have not yet come to faith in Yeshua, you may be live-streaming with us from any part of the world right now, you may be thinking all that idea about judgment and wrath and all that, is all Goyesh Abubamites, Gentile fables as such. Uh, but no, no, you wouldn't recognize that if you study uh, uh, in the Talmud, uh, you'll notice, of course, that this is something normally treated uh, and addressed uh, in the rabbinical writings as well as I have up on the screen. And so in Avadad Zarah, it says there, and by wrath, not but Gehenna is meant. Gehenna, as I have noted on there for you, is a, is a rabbinical word, a biblical word, too, for hell, for hell. 
And so nothing but hell is meant when you see the word wrath, as it is said, the day is a day of wrath, as they're quoting. And then from Sanhedrin 105a, uh, we read there uh, that uh, the rabbinical authority saw the same thing. It said there, the wicked shall be turned into hell. This refers to transgressors among Israel and all the nations that forget God. And so you say, well, Sam, are you teaching this because we believe in the authority of the Talmud? No, not at all. We believe in the authority of the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Scriptures, the written Word of God, of course. But I'm showing this for those who might think that the very matters that are brought up in the New Covenant are somehow alien from Jewish thinking. And that's not true. This has always been the concern of all people who understand the will and the work of God. It's always been this way. And so we don't like to talk about these things. We don't like to talk about hell and judgment and condemnation. This is like, you know, party poopers, so to speak. Who wants to talk about that? Well, you have to understand the importance of this matter, though, uh, in the sight of God. You have to appreciate from where God is coming from. Can you imagine if I was looking for work as a messenger? I actually had the job as a messenger when I got out of high school, going to college at night and working my way through as I did. And so, can you imagine my job as a messenger? I go for work, and I said, I'd like the job as a messenger. And they said, well, okay, fine. I said, but listen, I got... A little, I got a stipulation. Well, what's that? I only want to deliver good messages, fun messages, birthday greetings, something like that. I don't want to deliver any kind of bad news or death notices. Ooh, only happy stuff. They would say to me, no, the job of the messenger is not even think about them, just to deliver it. You have to deliver all kinds. So I would be unfaithful to God. If I only taught happy stuff, when the Bible, like a, a medical x-ray, is showing us our problems that need to be addressed. And so we need to proclaim, as the Bible teaches, the whole counsel of God. You say, why is that? Because God's love warns people. Because God does not threaten people. God warns people because he loves them. He doesn't threaten people. He's not trying to manipulate you with threats. He's trying to warn you of real problems. And so we have to get that straight into our minds accordingly. And so we live in this post-biblical world, as we have read in that portion of Scripture. We see as well that divine truth is mocked. Differing opinions are canceled. Babies are slaughtered in their mother's wombs. Perversion is celebrated, and gender confusion is legally reinforced. And the holy God must condemn sin because he's holy. But because, he is, because God is love, it breaks his heart regarding the judgment that these awful sins require. Require. We would not think well of a judge who did not want to punish real criminals. We dare not think unkindly about the just God who tells us that our sins will find us out, as Numbers tells us. And so we want to appreciate the issue from God's point of view. It breaks his heart for the very judgment that our sins require. And so we're going to understand this portion, if the Lord be pleased, uh, to help us with it, as the Holy Spirit would help us not only understand, but, but live it out. 
uh, this warning of God's condemning wrath on sin so that out of his love, we too will warn others to flee from the wrath to come. And so as the outline in your bulletin notes, you say, well, wasn't that the message? That was the introduction. Welcome to Hope of Israel. We see here the three points. We cover them accordingly, starting at the top. We have first verse, verse 18, deals with the revelation of God's wrath, the rebellion besieged, the reasons for God's wrath, the rebels' beliefs, and then thirdly, the results of God's wrath, the rebellious behavior. And so the revelation of God's wrath, it says here, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The word for, when you study through the Bible, for, like the word because in many cases, for explains why we need God's righteousness in Messiah. Was it an overreaction that the Messiah had to come, die an excruciating death as payment for our sins? Would, that seems like an overreaction from God. I mean, for making mistakes, for saying something out loud, uh, for being politically incorrect. Now, a Messiah has to come and die for sins. No, those little mistakes that you call them are merely symptoms of a deep spiritual cancer like a little tumor that doesn't seem like much, but it belies a great problem beneath. And so God, being rich in mercy, had the Messiah come. Uh, the great righteousness of God revealed in the good news of Messiah and his death. Why? Because humanity is corrupt and condemned by sins. And because God loves people, therefore God fully addresses our sin problem as good news of Yeshua's final sacrifice for all who believe. In other words, God sees us just as we are, with all our difficulties, our failures, our corruption, our hatreds, our lies, all the, he sees us, but he loves us. He loves us. And therefore, we want to understand the great salvation he provided because of his great love in light of the fact of our great corruption. And so the word that's used there, revealed, we get the word apocalypse, etc., or apocalypse now, if you remember those old movies, etc., but in any case. And so the word revealed is the same word in verse 17 and 18. The good news of Messiah reveals God's righteousness and God's wrath. You say, the good news reveals his righteousness and his wrath? The good news of Messiah reveals his righteousness, and the profound wrath that he has against sin. You say, what in the world are you talking about? The fact that the Messiah has to die for our sin. Yeshua's death reveals uh, the depth of God's hatred and anger at sin. The depth of his wrath against sin is seen in the death of Yeshua. Not merely in my death, no one would think twice about it. Uh, not merely in your death, uh, even though we would mourn you for a good five minutes, we promise a good five minutes, then we've got to get back to things at hand, you know? No, no. The death of the Messiah reveals the hatred that God has for sin and the wrath of God in its fulfill completeness, and its fullness. The full wrath of God. This is why the Messiah, Ben Elohim, the Son of God, had to die for our sins. That's the wrath of God. Nothing reveals it greater than Messiah's death itself. And so Yeshua took the full wrath of God on himself 
This is the full revelation of his wrath. Everything else is just piecemeal, so to speak. The fullness of his wrath. That's why the Messiah had to die. That shows the depth of God, the profound nature of his wrath on all sin, etc. And so when we think about this God's wrath, what is God's wrath? It's his hatred and judgment on sin. He loves the sinner. Yeshua died for sinners. God hates the sin. He hates sin because it's killing the people he loves. He hates sin because destroying the people that he loves. Just like a parent hates the disease that's killing their child. You hate the disease. You love the child. And so the sin that controls you, that's destroying you, God loves you and therefore hates that disease because of his love for you. And so when we consider this very matter, we want to understand that we read through the Tanakh, uh, the Hebrew scriptures, we understand that the only the proper blood atonement stopped God's wrath from destroying sinful Israel. Numbers 18.5. Only the blood atonement stopped God's wrath from destroying sinful Israel. Numbers 18.5. But because the temple was defiled by our utter sinfulness, and so it says the wrath of the Lord was against Judah and Jerusalem. Once the temple and its sacrifices were defiled, there was therefore no place. It was the blood sacrifice that stopped the wrath of God. But once the temple was destroyed, defiled rather, once it was defiled because of our utter sinfulness, using the temple for pagan worship, if you read through the Tanakh, you understand they were abusing uh, their whole life as, as a God's people. And therefore, they defiled the very temple where the sacrifices could be made to stop the wrath of God. And once the temple was defiled and blood sacrifices could no longer be properly offered, there was nothing to stop the wrath of God. That's why we read regarding the Babylonian captivity. It says in Second Chronicles 29 uh, verse 8, the wrath of the Lord was against Judah and Jerusalem. What a horrible thing. This is what happens when the blood offerings were no longer be made. This is actually what points ahead. You say, what do you mean? But the hope of believing Israel was always the promise of Messiah. The Son of God would be our atonement for us. This is the hope of Israel, why we named the congregation accordingly. Read with me on the right side of the screen. Read with me, if you will, from Psalm 2, verse 12. Here we go. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry, and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed. Oh, take refuge in him. Oh, take refuge in him. Do not wait another moment. It may, you'll know how soon it may be too late. Now is the day of salvation. Understand the only hope for Israel and all people is the King of the Jews, the Messiah of Israel. Oh, take refuge in him before his wrath may be soon kindled. Therefore, now is your opportunity. Now, do homage to the Son. Give honor and praise to that name which is above every name. And so as we read the scriptures, you say, I didn't know I was going to have to work this much coming to a service here. That's why we didn't tell you. You probably wouldn't have come then. Okay. So read with me, starting on your left, reading to the right. We're going to read three scriptures about the fulfillment of these matters. Romans 8, 1, here we go. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. Just as it said in Psalm 2, how blessed are all who take refuge in him. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Messiah Yeshua. How come? 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Yeshua. This is the desire of God. This is what God wants for us. Not to have wrath. He loves people. Read John 3.36, what it says there. Here we go. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not believe must see life. Remains. You don't come under the wrath of God because of your rejection of Yeshua, the Messiah. You're already under the wrath of God because of sin. It's not the rejection of the Messiah that brings the wrath of God. You've already seen the lies, the anger, the bitterness, all of these kind of matters. All of these things what produces the, the judgment of God on sin and therefore on you if you're left in your sins. That's why it says to believe in him is eternal life, but not to obey him, not to trust in him, not to follow him. You remain under the wrath of God. And this breaks God's heart. And so when we take a look at this verse here, I know it sounds a little nerdy, but God actually ordained the writing of words. Even though I love music, we only have the lyrics from David's, uh, King David's uh, tunes. Uh, by the way, isn't it great having Paul Burton here? Where are you, Paul? Thank you very, thank you very much. There you are back there. Thank you very much. Yeah. So we want to appreciate the fact, uh, oh, I love music, but we only have the words, the lyrics, so to speak, because God inspired words. And so we look at this verse, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven and says against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people. Ungodliness, unrighteousness. Ungodliness is irreverence towards God. Unrighteousness is injustice towards God. People understand where our sins have been revealed in our irreverence towards God and our injustice towards others. This is how it is seen. These two words summarize uh, the Ten Commandments as, as they're commonly called, the Ten Words, etc. But the Ten Commandments, these two words, ungodliness breaks the first four commands, unrighteousness breaks the next six commands, Humanity is called to love God and love others, but we've totally failed. Total failure, that's what it's saying here. In every way, we've totally failed. I know some of you right now, you're working through, I think I did one out of ten this week, hold it a second, I'm not a total failure, but you don't understand. It's like uh, it says, you know, in the, in the scriptures, it says to break one is to break them all. So it's like breaking a little piece of the window. You have a broken window, even though there's still someone broken. No, no, it's a broken window. And so we've all totally failed. And so there's no good thing in our flesh, as the Bible says. And so we need help. Help us, Lord. And so there's evil deeds, it says here, the right men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What's that mean? What are we doing? Suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And so our evil deeds, our evil thoughts and attitudes, our bitterness, our hatreds, our anger, our fears, all these kind of things, all these things conceal, suppress the truth 
of God's character from other people. You say, what do you mean suppressing? You're suppressing what God gave you to honor him. Listen, when my sons were little, and let's say Father's Day was coming up, and so, you know, my wife would slip him a, a $5 bill, go get that a card. You know, you have to remind them it's Father's Day. You have to remind them, get them something, be nice to them. So you have to do all that. And so they take the five bucks, right? And rather than get a card, what they do is they buy a placard that says, my dad is a creep. And they walk around with this card. My dad is a creep. Happy Father's Day. My dad is a creep. What? They use the very money, the very resources that they had to honor their father, but instead they use those same resources to dishonor their father. That is what it means when it says that we have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness, that we have suppressed the truth, what God has given us in our time, talent, and treasure, all that God has given us to bring honor and praise to him, to exalt him in all of our ways. We've used our time, talent, and treasure selfishly, sinfully, to dishonor him. And therefore, we're suppressing the truth. All that we have from God is being used contrary to its purposes. Our sins are holding back the truth. Uh, and therefore, we're like little signs, little placards that give him a bad name. Rather than representing him, we're misrepresenting him. Because of sin, our relationships are broken, which misrepresent his love and his kindness and forgiveness. And so we're created to represent him. But we need help. We need help. We need a God who'll make a difference. And so God feels about sin the way a doctor feels about disease. He wants to get rid of the disease because he wants to help the patient. And so God wants to eradicate sin. His one and only cure is Yeshua because humanity's utter sinfulness. Yeshua died and took all of our punishment upon himself, all of God's wrath upon himself. Therefore, there is no condemnation. In Messiah Yeshua, God made a difference for us. Is he a good God or what? May his name be blessed forever. Glory to his name. Give him praise and honor. He is a God worthy of our praise and worthy of our honor. Glory to his name. And so we want to understand the issues as we have time to get through some of it. You say, what do you mean time? We'll get through some of it. Oneg is calling. Got to be careful here. Got our priorities right, okay? And so the reasons for God's wrath is then given. We see the revelation, now we see the reasons for it. Verse 19 continues the thought uh, that we're suppressing the truth and right, because what is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. God developed this universe in such a way so it would be evident about him. That's why it says in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Everything was, was created to declare the glory of God. So were we. But because of sin, we're the only part of creation that is not declaring the glory of God. And so we want to understand that was not God's purpose. He did it so we'd all be evident. It's all supposed to be revealed and therefore manifest accordingly. And so the truth was revealed in them, revealed through our conscience, because that which is known about God is evident within them, within them. We all understand these things intuitively. We understand a sense of right and wrong intuitively. 
And so God made the truth that was knowable about him evident among humanity. And so God created everyone uh, to know about him and by conscience to know right from wrong. You say, not everyone knows right from wrong. There's a lot of people out there stealing cars. Let me tell you something about car thieves, which I happen to know because I read a lot. That's how I know these things. So understand, there is no thief, no thief who believes it's right to steal because they do not want anyone stealing from them. And therefore, even though they steal from others, because I'm smarter than they are, they don't want anyone stealing from them, because, and they therefore testify they know it's wrong to steal. So understand the issue. God gave us a conscience, a general direction finder, to tell us right from wrong. And so we have this truth within us to understand right from wrong accordingly. And so living, the problem we have here is that living with unconfessed sin and not recognizing it for what it is. When we actually go against our, when we tell lies, when we steal, when we cheat, uh, whenever it goes on, when we lust, whenever we fear, whatever those dreads, all those phobias, all that stuff, what happens, it gets worser and worser for us. It becomes a deadening issue on our conscience until finally you get to a place where you end up becoming like a serial killer, a serial liar, a serial adulterer, a serial whatever, a kind of a lifestyle that actually comes about because of a deadened conscience, deadened to God and to the moral issues accordingly. But God had made it so you can understand it. So you need to confess your sins. It's unconfessed sin that deadens you. It's confessing your sins that brings the cleansing of Yeshua's atonement to your life. And so it says here, it was revealed through creation. And you say, well, what do you mean creation? You mean nature. I mean creation, not nature. Since the creation, he says, his invisible attributes, eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what is made. Seen, understood. Seen, understood. So that they're without excuse. All creation testifies to a creator. You say, well, nature testifies to mother nature. Yeah, that's the problem right there. Okay. And so a hunk of iron doesn't evolve into a watch. It assumes a designer, a watchmaker. To deny the reality of creation is to deny reality altogether. And the Bible teaches us, as we'll see as well, that atheists are spiritual fools. You say, well, I'm an atheist. You call me a fool? Not me. I would never do such a thing. My mother raised me right. But the Bible, on the other hand, says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So if you say there is no God, what does the Bible call you? Not me. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. I don't do those things. But understand what the Bible says about this matter. That's what's important. So the general revelation that God has given leaves humanity without an excuse before God. And so the very invisible matters, eternal power, divine nature, all that there is about God that is unseen are understood because of creation. Understood, the word there means comprehended, known, realized, okay, understood. And so being clearly observed, you say, well, what do you mean? To look upon, to observe something carefully. And so creation can be observed and therefore understood, observed to be understood. Believers, we walk by faith, not by sight. 
But if you're a non-believer, you want to see it to believe it. Well, understand creation is here for you to see it so you can believe it. You say, why, what do you mean by that? This is actually the scientific method. The scientific method. You know from what you observe. You know from what you observe. You say, well, is it reproducible in a laboratory? Listen, with, the, with all the exploration of space, and they're recognizing all these galaxies, they're not trying to reproduce it in a laboratory. They are observing it and understanding it. That is the scientific method. Not merely reproducible, not everything's reproducible. But understand this is what God has placed in creation so that people could reasonably believe on him. Not irrationally, no, no, reasonably believe on him. You see what's there and you realize something came about. If you see an intricate watch, mine's a Timex. I think I made this watch. I'm not too intricate. So you say, what do you mean? If you have an intricate watch that does all, watch that does all these kinds of things, you must think to yourself, there must be a really expert watchmaker, not Sam Dadler, who put that thing together. So when you see an intricate creation, you therefore know there must be a great design to the creator. This is why the Bible says you have what you need. Unbelief in God is therefore inexcusable for everyone. Everyone is without excuse, and therefore they're believing a lie in order to deny what their eyes can clearly see around them. Something does not evolve from nothing. There has to be a creator. You cannot have nothing evolving. It doesn't even make sense. But people are being taught this in schools. And weirder things, much weirder things. Multiverse, we were created from another universe. You believe that instead of that it's a creator? I mean, anything to deny a creator, because if you recognize a creator, you therefore recognize that you're morally accountable to him. But rather what you have is another universe creating us so we're not morally accountable. Fools is exactly what the Bible says on the matter. And so the reasons for God's wrath, though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Didn't honor, even though they knew about God. And so the word know here and how it's used, I'm very nerdy about these things, a participle accordingly, translated elsewhere in the same form, translated may aware or recognize. They recognized it was a God. They knew about God. You have to understand the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Knowing about and knowing. Knowing is a relationship. Knowing about is merely a reputation you heard about. Uh, some of you know me. My wife actually knows me. God, God knows me better than I know myself, as a matter of fact. And so we want to appreciate the fact they knew about God, but did not have a personal relationship through faith. Said, why? Because they did not honor him or thank him. Do you have a personal relationship? Your personal relationship is revealed in both your honoring, giving honor and praise to him, and thanking him. This is what shows your personal relationship with God. But your ingratitude, your dishonor, therefore is showing your lack of relationship. You may know about him, but you don't know him. God wants you to know he created you to have a relationship with him to know him, to have faith in him, to trust in him. This is what God would have. This is saving faith in Yeshua. And so truth was rejected by them. It says in verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks. It was rejected by him. They had the facts. They knew about God. 
but intellectually chose not to believe. They said, well, well, there's different facts. I choose facts that say there is no God. Uh, you can't make me think otherwise. You know, you can't manipulate me. You're not going to manipulate me. You're not going to trick me. Nope. I choose to say there is no God. I decide that, no, no, uh, this universe came about without a God. Uh, therefore, we need, you know, many, many billions, many billions of years uh, for evolution to take place, even though there is nothing that has ever evolved before our eyes, because we need billions of years. And so, therefore, it doesn't have to be reproducible. Uh, it just has to be said. And we therefore push it. And therefore, we deny the very existence of God by what we say here. Uh, so it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, so to speak. And so uh, they don't know God. And so the whole issue, what happened uh, in history, is that it began with one God who had many names. El Gibor, the mighty God. El Elyon, the God most high. Uh, Hashem, the holy covenant name of God. Uh, all, he had many names because there's so much of God and he expressed himself in so many different ways. Uh, he's the healer of Israel. Many different things we can say about him. And what degraded after time because of sin, degraded each name became a lesser deity until further ruin from there. Uh, from there went on and on and on. And so to think that there are many different ways, when you hear people say there's many ways, that's just paganism. That's just paganism with more civilized uh, wording used. And so they rejected in their failed witness. No glory or gratitude given. No praise or honor for God. And glory and gratitude, honor and thanks. This is what God is deserving because he's God for the provision of giving us rain for our crops, giving us breath to breathe, that our lives may live, that he gave us life, giving him thanks and praise and honor. Uh, so the first step to all backslide is going to be ingratitude and dishonor. Give him thanks and honor to his name there. And dishonor and gratitude, this goes on from there. Uh, so they oh, became foolish in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. It goes from bad to worse. Bad to worse. Dishonor and gratitude leads to damaged ability to reason properly. Now people are basically all messed up in their minds. Uh, they see what's not there, what they should see, and they can't see what is there. Why? Because they're, they're skewered in their thinking. They become paranoid. They become all kinds of neurotic messes uh, because of the issue that this unbelief leads to. And so the very basis of proper reasoning is lost when you lose the truth of God and his word. You become spiritually ignorant and blind, darkened in their, in their futile speculations. And so the natural person cannot discern. To the natural man cannot accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, because they, can, they cannot be understood by them, for they're spiritually appraised. And so be careful of becoming dull of hearing. Be careful of the cycle that can begin to start to deaden your own soul. No, no, repent quickly, repent now. And so it says in verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be wise, self-acclaimed wise guys. Hello, I'm very wise. Good to meet you. Uh, but in so doing, they now became fools. So every time they say, you know, I, I, you know my feelings about people who have self-appointed titles. You know, people tell you that they are something because, you know, uh, hello, I'm an apostle. What makes you an apostle? Uh, because I, I know I am. Well, you're a fool. What can I tell you? There you go. And so, no, I don't like self-appointed titles. 
And so they became fools uh, by claiming their confusion to be wisdom. Oh, there is no God, and it's certainly proved by evolution, and they, they go on rattling off all kinds of things that make sense to them, uh, but not, to, not if you look at reality, not if you look at the facts. And so they become foolish, became fools, foolish. Uh, we got the word moron from that, became morons. They became useless for eternal matters. Uh, they became fools. And they're geniuses in nonsense. Look how well I can make an idol. My idol is better than your idol. I'm better than you. And they think they're geniuses because they make a better idol. You know, my car is better than your cars. I'm better than you. My house is bigger than your house. I am better than you. My idol is better than your idol. And so they think they became wise. They became fools. They became foolish. They go by a value system. It's nothing to do with what God would have for any of us. They're merely an example of spiritual failure, otherwise spiritually useless for all other matters. And so, therefore, it says, exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image and leading us eventually to corruptible, worshiping man. These people don't worship man. That's exactly what humanism is. Humanism is seeing humans as the center of the universe, the standard for all things, except when it comes to protecting babies in the womb, except there. Other than that, everything is about humanity. Humanism. Humanism attaches prime importance to being human rather than divine and spiritual matters. And so when God is belittled, uh, when his glory is demeaned, and then people become their own God, making their own decisions, whatever they wish to do, they'll do. Uh, I'm the master of my own fate, the captain of my own ship. No one can tell me what to do. You say, well, that sounds like a teenager. Some people just don't grow up. Some people merely get paid better. They don't grow up. And so with such wisdom, your house is built on sand. Oh, repent quickly. For there is a way, the Bible says, that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is the way of death. It seems right, but it's all about you. And therefore, it leads to death. And so the last thought before we close in prayer, we see the results. We looked at the revelation. We looked at the reasons for God's wrath. Now we'll look at the results of God's wrath. Three times he's going to say, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. You say, why did God do that? No, it's not like God did something bad to them. God let them have their way. God let them have their way. Uh, I want to I do it my way. Well, I'm giving you wisdom. Don't do it your way. Your way is like dumb. Yeah, like the teenager in Minnesota. You read that article about the teenager in Minnesota was written up? They were, they, the group of them had a game. Whoever could get their head closest to a moving train won. In the hospital, I had a picture of the winner. What is it? God gave them over. You want to see how far close to a train you can get your head? Even though it's stupid, you know, it's a free country. And so you get your head. So let me see. Uh, how much can I sin in my mind uh, before without getting caught? Because the thoughts I think in my mind, no one knows about. God hears every thought you have. That should be quite embarrassing to some of us. But nonetheless, in your mind, you think, well, I, it doesn't do anything wrong until you're hit by the train, until you find yourself acting upon your thoughts. Your attitudes become corrupted. This is what goes on in your mind. God gave them over into the lust of their heart to impurity. 
He gave them, this is what you want. God's saying it's wrong. I don't care. I want what I want. God says, no, it's not good for you. Don't do that. And you say, they're not good for you, but I want it. And so you, okay, if you're going to dishonor God and not give him thanks and praise and trust him, he gave them over. And so sinners are delivered over to dishonoring sin, degrading sin of homosexuality, to depraved sin of every kind, to given over. Uh, Pardinamite uh, has to do with the term of you know, uh, being delivered over, delivered over. And God allows people, uh, who, uh, God removes the Holy Spirit's restraint. God is a restrainer. One day uh, when the general resurrection takes place and we're all removed from this evil world, as the Bible calls it, uh, removed from the very presence of sin, the restraint will be removed from the rest of humanity and will go from bad to much worse than you can imagine. But in any case, the Holy Spirit restrainer is given away and therefore given over to our own desires. We're allowed to do what we want, and that always ends up with corruption, even as Frank Sinatra, for older crowd here, as he sang, he sang you know, boastfully, I did it my way. Well, that's actually the key to sin. All we like sheep, the prophet writes, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. That's actually the key to sin. Your own selfish, self-centered, personalized morality, doing it your own way. This is actually a key to understanding sin. And so God lets people uh, have their own way. And what happens? The, the tremendous horror that goes on now and probably forever. People will not repent, and they, they seem to be uninclined accordingly, uh, etc. Total corruption that goes on. And so it said there, as we read, verse 26 and 27, women exchange the natural function for the unnatural. Uh, in the same way also men abandon the natural function of women and burn the desire toward one another. Now, some people are going to be listening to us, maybe here with us, or live streaming with us, who are going to say, well, Sam, uh, this is actually contrary, uh, this is like hate speech. It's not hate speech. It's God, the doctor, warning you about a disease. And you're saying that you have a right to this disease. I can be as unhealthy as I wish to be. Don't you dare tell me it's unhealthy. I say I like this kind of thing. I don't care. And God is pleading with you, pleading with you over and over again to let you know the evil of your ways, that you'll repent and be cleansed in the blood of Yeshua. And so homosexuality, whether it be in the Tanakh and the Hebrew Scriptures, you'll see what I have on the left side of the screen, Leviticus 18.22. Let's read that together. Here we go. You shall not lie. It is more than a no-no. It is more than a whoops. It's an abomination. You say, well, but is that the New Covenant? We're reading New Covenant when we see Romans here. So understand what the whole Bible is talking about. Everything that God has to say on the subject. It's seen as degradation, dishonor, and unnatural. You see, we love everyone, but we must agree with Scripture as to what... I, I, listen, uh, we have members of our community here who are gay, uh, but they're not acting upon it. Uh, just like there's some heterosexuals here, and I will not name names who have lustful thoughts about people they're not married to, but they're not acting upon it. Good for you. Bring it to the Lord. When you have temptation, bring it to the Lord. Let him help you by the blood of Yeshua that gives you the power to be able to resist sin. 
in the cross of our Messiah. We have therefore the power of God uh, to resist the sin, uh, to gain the victory. This is what makes the difference. And so you know, we love everyone, but have to agree with what the Bible says about right and wrong. Abandoning the Creator, we abandon what's natural in creation. And so the sin that God had condemned, people began to tolerate. Uh, people began to accept it. Now sin is legalized and celebrated. But God still condemns it as sin because it's still corrupting and destructive to the people he loves. God hasn't changed. Praise God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still loves us. And so people must repent and trust uh, in his blood atonement for forgiveness of sin. And so with rebellion, you're given over to your sins. This is what God says is the result of God's wrath given over. But the same word, forgiven over, the very same word is used regarding our Messiah, Yeshua. Read with me finally, Luke 24, verse 7, at the right of the screen here. Here we go. The Son of Man must be... He was given over to judgment for your sins, so you won't be given over to the corruption of your sins. He was given over already in your place, so you will not be given over, that you will not be corrupted, destroyed by those sins. Even now, trust in him. Trust in him. And so you either have it your way unto destruction or have it God's way unto salvation. Trust in Yeshua now. And you say, what, well, Sam, are you making threats? Never. But it's warnings of love because of God's great concern for people. That's the concern that constrains our hearts as well. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we pray even now that you would draw hearts to yourself. There may be some of us here who are resistant to you, resistant to the very truth of Messiah. Some may be non-Jews who are resistant because of the Jewish Messiah. Others may be resistant because they somehow don't want to yield their life to the authority of God. Others may therefore think they protect tradition by denying Messiah. Oh God, have mercy on us. And even now draw us to yourself. And while every eye is bowed, every eye is closed, head bowed, let me just close with a word of prayer. If this prayer reflects the need of your heart, God hears your heart. Pray this prayer with me. Not that a prayer could save you, but it'll focus your faith on Yeshua. It's faith in Yeshua that makes the difference. He paid the price that you may live. Be forgiven. Even now in your heart, pray with me. Oh, dear God, forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me for my judgmentalness. Forgive me for my anger. Forgive me for my unclean thoughts. Forgive me for my fears. Cleanse them all away through the atonement of Messiah. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. And while everyone else's eyes are closed in prayer, let me pray for you right where you are. My eyes are open. Everyone else's eyes are closed right where you are. If you prayed that prayer to place your faith in Yeshua today, to simply trust in what he has done for you. If you're here and you prayed that prayer, I just want to pray for you in closing, right where you are, right where you're seated. Just raise your hand once if you prayed that prayer with me, so I can pray for you. Right where you are, just raise your hand once. Yes, I see your Yes, I see your hand as well. Anyone else, just raise your hand once. I just want to pray for you right where you are. Amen.
Just raise your hand once. I can pray for you. Right where you are. Father, you see hands, you see hearts. You know us and you love us. Thank you, Lord. Now we pray that the Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKodesh, that the Holy Spirit would confirm to our hearts the truth of your love and the fullness of our salvation. That we are cleansed, forgiven because of Messiah's atonement. Because of his salvation, his sacrifice, we are children of God. Send us from this room to be your instruments of good news to others, to warn those who don't know what to do, to warn them of judgment to come, but the truth of Messiah. Add your blessing in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Messianic Radio for a spiritually hungry world. Speak to the rock. Get answers for your life. Find out what's missing in your Bible and why. Solace Radio. Changing lives one heart at a time.